Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of We Ate All the Pies. My name is Adam. I'm going to apologize now. I'm recovering from a cold. If I sound weird, that's why. Also, if I cough down the microphone, that is why. I will try to avoid that as much as I can. Um, I'm toward the tail end of it, so hopefully it'll be okay. But we are back again this week for another exciting edition of some Premier League football. Some Champions League was happening this week. Uh, big semifinals involving Manchester City and uh, Liverpool, but uh, also we got all that crap out of the way, and now we've got the West Ham match and the Europa League, which is, of course, the important one. But first, before we get too deep into everything, I will introduce my co-host for the evening, fellow uh, individual who is also struggling with some sound-slash-audio-slash stuff, but for different reasons this week, is uh, all the way from Georgia, a still-happy Fulham fan, Caleb. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna sound you might sound a little different this week, Caleb, but that's okay. Yeah, hopefully we'll get these. Oh, you sound good audio now. issues figured out. You sound oh, good now. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's that's yeah. so kind of you. Uh, <laughs> I would say, yeah, we're happy as Fulham fans because Fulham is, has um, had one win in the last five matches, and I think this is more of our comfort zone. So I feel like as a Fulham community, we we know what to do when we're losing matches. We should win. So. Um, yeah, we're all we're all comfortable now, if if not super happy. You're, they're just preparing you for for a lot for for what's what's to come. Actually, I, I I have my own thoughts about that. We'll save them for the end of the season. I, I feel like it might be better for you next season for for different reasons. And uh, uh, our other co-host uh, coming from Sherman, the man who is not having so many sound issues uh, this week. Um, except for the delay, which I always try and work on, Jordan and I do apologize. It's not Jordan's fault; it's his internet and the and my lazy editing. But it's Jordan. Hello, hello, Adam. Hello, Caleb. So let me ask you a question, Adam. Yes, is that yes. the is that the new variant? Uh, and I mean in you, not in EW, uh, for our uh, fans of Greek uh, Greek letters out there, because we had Delta Omicron, and so I just decided to name what you got new. Uh, it is not. Uh, my wife caught this first. She tested twice for COVID, once at home, once at the office, and uh, it's it's not. It is not COVID, and I've got the exact same thing. So, But to anybody out there who does get this cold and it is not COVID, um, prednisone and some cough suppressants, it'll have you feeling good. Um, that's what's worked for me this week. So, um, By the way, just to point out i'm just kind of realized this today uh it's been a year since we started this um which means it's been a year since the debacle that was uh the european super league idea so yeah happy one year anniversary i we don't have anything um but uh <laughs> but um it's been so, fun. it's been fun uh, it's been good no this is this is great let's yeah. let's congratulate ourselves we made it to a year uh we did so it. We also celebrate an anniversary with uh, Stephen Gerrard Slip Day. It is. That's right. Oh, it is, it's the official, what, a, what it's, a great day! Yes, what a wonderful day that is. We're going to talk good about Liverpool later, so we can we can talk about this now. Uh, what a wonderful day! The the official Stephen Gerrard Slip Day, of course, when Stephen Gerrard under no pressure with Liverpool chasing down the title um, back in I think 2014 uh, slips. And gives the ball to Dimbaba, who then runs all the way through and scores on an essentially open goal to kill off Liverpool's title hopes. Uh, oh, how times have changed. But we can look back fondly and remember that 
and then go on and talk about how just incredibly unstoppable they are at the moment. Um, which we will discuss that uh, at first. That'll be our first game coming up. But since it is a year, and since I never do this, and I don't do this usually because, honestly, if 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 I let the the gate open to allow myself to talk about this on the podcast, we would not talk about anything else. Um, I'm a huge football manager fan. I'm more of a fan of the older games, just because that's what I'm used to. The games today kind of have a few too many bells and whistles. Uh, those are for the kids. So I do have to just say real quick, I am have been for the last several weeks enmeshed in my first season during a Football Manager 2010 session. Uh, I Just to get out of the way very quickly, uh, I've selected Charlton Athletic, who, if you don't know, at the end of the 2009 season, were relegated from the championship down to League One, so I had to lead them out of League One. We did that, uh, but we are just absolutely skint. I mean, we have no, there's no money whatsoever, and so I'm very, very nervous about how our next season's going to go in the championship, because I feel like I'm going to get nothing in the way of transfer funds in the summer, but that's for later. Right now, we're the champions of League One. Hooray. Um, uh, won it on the penultimate day against Leeds, who were also kind of up there, and it was a deflected shot from this def- this defender who's had this just fantastic season. His name is Kelly Yuga. I'm sure if you look him up, he's, he's a real player, and he just had a hell of a season, so it was great for him. However, I went ahead and simulated the last day of the Premier League in this digital 2009-2010 world, and holy shit, was it a crazy final day. Um, first of all, Manchester United did end up winning their fourth straight title in this edition of Football Manager, but Chelsea took them down to the final day. And actually, Manchester United did not, they lost. They lost to Sunderland, who survived. Sorry, Jordan. Um, and they would have lost the title had it not been for Chelsea being at Wolves. Wolves also needed to win to survive and ended up drawing 2-2. This was also bad for my Hammers, um, who in this edition are a very, very much worse version than they are now. But they played Manchester City, who had clinched fourth by this point, so Champions League for the first time for City uh, in the, the 10-11 season. They... They went into the final day knowing they had to get some kind of win, and they just got absolutely obliterated 3-0. And I can only imagine what Upton Park was like as City are just beating the crap out of them, and they know they're going down next season. But, I mean, it was just a... It was it was mad. I hope that the final day this year is as dramatic as that one was, because I've... Uh, that was, that was uh, definitely something special. So, Jordan, I know you're not... You don't... You're not a huge football manager guy. I know Caleb has played some, but he hasn't played in a while, you said. But anyways, so yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I'm I'm very much looking forward. I have played a ton of football managers. Yeah, see, I there will, you go. I will admit to that. Yeah. yeah. I've played a ton uh, of that. The mighty so, yeah, York City, I think. Yeah, I, I made York City a powerhouse of, yeah. uh, of English football, so yeah. 
just see. because I thought the name was interesting. That was not easy. That took a while. That was basically <laughs> the summer of 2020. Yeah, that was, yes. that's what the pan, that's what the pandemic does to you. It's, it's it just takes you to to those to, to those places. But yes, Jordan, you you were going to say something real quick. Uh, no, I was going to say I'm uh, I'm more of a civilization guy, so okay. I'm a bigger nerd than actually both of you. Um, I'll take gonna, that. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, um, you know, you you had this moment uh, with Football Manager 2010, you know, talking about nostalgia. Uh, there is a podcast that's produced by the BBC, which uh, is aired on Saturday mornings um, here in America. That's when it drops. It's a pre-lunchtime uh, show. It's called Fighting Con. It is a, uh, a punditry show where a host war- awards points on, you know, just randomness and then the two uh, uh, pundits with the highest point totals had to do something called in, uh, uh, defend the indefensible. Yeah. Well, Adam, I got, in, I got in my feels a little bit there this weekend because I saw that Matt Jarvis, former West Ham player, former Wolves player, was on the podcast and oh, wow. um, on, on the show. And this was one of the first players I remember ever watching and then playing on FIFA with. To train, you know, to you know, transition into retirement, and you know, uh, football punditry for low pay. So I was like, <laughs> "Wow, a decade really has gone by." Because in FIFA, uh, especially, Matt, uh, Matt Jarvis was a tricky little winger with a with a good bit of a with a good cross. He could definitely put the ball in for you if you if you, if you needed it to. Yeah, I remember Matt Jarvis. He did he had, he had some good things for for Wolves. I don't know how crucial he was for for the Hammers during his time there, but he was a big Wolves player. So yeah, that's that man. Man, that's weird to see him to to see him retiring. That's that's really strange. All right, before we feel too much older now, um, let's let's dig into uh, to the Merseyside derby. So Liverpool two, Everton two. Um, and due to this defeat and then some timely wins by a suddenly alive and kicking Burnley, Everton are two points away from safety, and they are truly staring into the abyss. Uh, it was a goalless first half. It was broken by Andrew Robertson's back post header to put the Reds on top at Anfield. Everton created a few more chances in the second half, including a great one for Demarai Gray that just, just went by uh, the outside post. But it was Divock Origi heretofore known as the Toffee Killer, who scored his sixth goal in a Merseyside derby five minutes from time to seal the win. A lot of talk about Everton's tactics in this game, considering what they're having to chase down. Um, and so my first question, for whoever uh, wants to wants to talk about it, um, uh, were Everton too negative in this game? I mean, is this where they sit back too much, or is that even possible to do against Liverpool? Uh, I'm gonna jump in first here. Uh, yes, they were negative, um, but they did test uh, Liverpool very early with Anthony Gordon making a nice break, and then yeah, uh, Richarlson to uh, Abel uh, Abel Decore on a nice break too. Uh, both of those shots they kind of pushed wide. Um, it no, it, it wasn't that they were too negative. It was weird because Everton is a team you think of still wanting to play up-tempo kind of possession-based attacking football. And to see them basically sit back with 11 men 
in their own half because where Charleston did not advance out of his own half very often uh, on the defensive side, uh, it was weird. It was almost like uh, uh, Burnley and Everton have had a Freaky Friday moment and <laughs> they've switched identities uh, because that was I was like, oh my god, if that's clear, if Clarendon Blues out there, that's a Burnley match versus Liverpool. Um, what? <laughs> What uh, surprised me about this game, though, was um, Liverpool's uh, lack of ability to uh, uh, string passes in through the center of uh, Everton's midfield early. There was a couple times where Thiago and Fabinho both left passes short, which either uh, Alex Awobi, who who looked pretty good, uh, you know, in midfield, uh, you know, he brought some energy to that position. Uh, or uh, Decore would sniff out. Um, now, obviously, this game was marred by some uh, uh, some events on the pitch. Um, first of all, I would like to give Anthony Gordon uh, an Oscar uh, because <laughs> that, uh, that 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 simulation he had in the first half uh, over uh, over uh, Nabi Keita was award winning. Like yeah. he 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 he. he you could argue that he would have gotten the foul if he didn't over-exaggerate. But you could clearly see if you go back in slow motion, which they did, like he went over, but then he proceeded to like raise his legs higher like he got cleared out completely. And then he proceeded to roll on the ground like he got clattered into. <laughs> uh it, it, it was hysteronics at its finest, uh, uh, and kind of set the tone for him the whole the whole day because you know there was that incident with um, uh, Matip later, uh, and you know you go down easy once they're not going to give it to you a second time. Um, and, yeah, but that's so. And, but real quick, I said I know what you're going to talk about next. But real quick, I do want to just point out I found this fact funny earlier today so liverpool have gone a record 46 consecutive games without conceding a penalty now 46 Uh. games yeah now i'm not saying i am just saying 46 games Uh, not conceding a penalty and i gotta be honest with you i i think if that matip foul on on gordon happens again it's a penalty. And not because Matip necessarily does something that, you know, like he doesn't lash out at him or anything, but, I mean, his hand is on his back and he clearly pushes him. And, you know, I mean, that's a foul. That is that is a penalty. That is what you give. It's And to me, that's what that was. Now, I understand what the referee saw, and I get it. And, yes, probably Anthony Gordon. You're probably right, Jordan. Anthony Gordon, going through the histrionics earlier, didn't didn't help him. But I still do think they got away with that one. But... Jordan, as you probably tell us now, Sadio Mane got away with a much bigger one earlier. Oh, oh, uh, t- uh, no! I totally agree. Uh, you actually <laughs> uh, called this out first, Adam. I thought he just kind of pushed the guy, uh, uh, Alon away, and I was like, "Oh, that's nothing." I mean, yes, it's all yellow because you know he 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 motioned to his face, but I didn't think anything beyond that. But then when you when you pointed it out to me, I looked back at it. Yeah, he poked Alan right in the eye. He did. Uh, um, so yeah, that, that should have been a red card. Um, there was, what, what, what it was is, is it, 
and, and what what brought my attention to it was there was there was an incident that occurred. I, I, I'm having trouble remembering now, but basically the incident happens. There's a there's a fracas, there's a melee, whatever you want to call it. Players come together. It kind of calms down, and then Mane goes over and you know sort of looks like he he almost kind of looks like he slaps him in the face or something or hits him. And immediately I was just like, "You can't do that. That's bad. <laughs> like you can't you can't put your hands up to that." And the fact that it happened like in the second go around, not in the first. But in, in the second, like he keeps going. To me, that's like, how do you, as a referee, how does that not? How do you? How does your attention not get called to that? How do you not see that? Because you're watching and you're seeing this escalate once again to the point that you know it, it looks like Mane just kind of lashes out at him. Now, obviously, people are saying things, but but I mean, striking or attempting to strike a player that is a red card uh, out of the question. That's uh, that's the law of the game. But we're obviously not following the law of the game because he stayed on the pitch. But anyways. No, uh, I, I was just going to say, um, no, this, that whole game felt like it was out of control. Yes. Um, the incident that occurred towards the end of the first half where, uh, where Charleston goes down because he got, he, you know, he got his little, his little foot stepped on. Um, <laughs> and that was, that was another, uh, you know, histrionic episode uh, on the part of Everton players. Uh, and no. he stays, never him. He stays down for uh, like a good 90 seconds of game time. And eventually, uh, Decore takes it upon himself to, you know, deliver a very cheap foul after pulling uh, Fabinho and then just kind of running right through him. Oh, uh, that was right. Um, yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> so the on-field officials did not do a good job of keeping the uh, the, the tension the tension low. Um, I think it was Stuart Atwell. This was the, was the official. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not to say Liverpool didn't deserve to win. No, 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 no. I will say I kind of felt, you know, the one player I felt bad for, uh, Luis Diaz. Uh, because, uh, yes, uh, Divock Origi will always forever be a cult hero in Liverpool because he'll be the guy who uh, slain Barcelona in the second leg. Uh, and then, to you know, this weekend uh, was the was the man who uh, uh, sunk uh, Everton into relegation. Yeah. Um, but Luis Diaz, that that overhead scissor kick he put into the ground. If he just had a better connection on it, that would that would have been a goal of the goal of the season. Yeah, because he was he was up there. I mean, he was in the you know very rarefied Cristiano Ronaldo territory. Um, and it was a it was a you know a, 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 a it was a piece of poetry you know the way he get the way he strikes it but he just happens to strike it and bounce it into the ground. Um, it was kind of funny towards the end of the match to see uh, Jordan Pitfer- Pickford and then uh, uh, Jordan Henderson, uh, both former Sunderland players, uh, get into it. Um, <laughs> I, I was like, I, I, I just speak well. You know, that's how Mackums are. They eat their own. Dance. Uh, dance. Uh, but it's, it, it, you know, it's so bad at Everton right now. And they're so, uh, you know, kind of uh, without direction that they threw on Deli Alley. <laughs> uh, Which apparently somehow, is the new way in English of saying uh, fat lady sings. Because I don't, I don't think I've seen yeah. Deli Alley come on and make a difference in a game. No, yet no, Everton. not not since his not since his move for, uh, to Everton. No, uh, I was like, just, yeah, I just I just assumed like he was injured uh, because 
he has not made the starting eleven, nor he's made the bench. So I'm like, oh hey, yeah. look, there's Deli Alley. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it over to Caleb here real quick to keep, to keep this Everton talk going. But Caleb, yeah, e- Everton's game in hand comes on Wednesday, May 11th against Watford. In fact, so, so their six remaining fixtures are they they play Chelsea this weekend. They they go to Leicester next weekend. Then they have the midweek game against Watford. They're versus Brentford. They're versus Palace, and then they're at Arsenal on the final day. If they are going to pick up points, I mean, where's that? Where's that going to come from? I mean, what, uh, there's the the possibility that you get past Watford, but I mean, with the way Burnley is right now, I mean, this is just it's it's a situation. It seems hopeless. Yeah. It doesn't look good. I mean, it's not hopeless because you know you're not at the point. You, you're still somewhat in control of your own future to a certain extent, which is good. Um, and they did just play one of the two best teams in the Premier League. So, you know, but they have looked terrible. I mean, their best chance to pick up three points is obviously Watford. Um, Brentford has not played particularly well over the, you know, this year, um, even though they've definitely, you know, secured the fact that they're going to be in the Premier League next season. So I would probably circle those two as places you might be able to pick up points. I think Chelsea and Arsenal are, are losses, and you'll be lucky to come away with a with a draw uh, at Leicester and, and uh, versus Palace. So it's going to be very difficult. I think the thing that seems the most frustrating about it, if you're an Everton fan, is there's just not a lot of it's there's not a clear direction of like okay, if we do X, then we're going to win games. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just, there's, there's not a clear direction in terms of, okay, if we can execute this kind of game plan, if we can get this, this player involved, um, if we can bring this person as an impact sub at the right time, then, you know, there's a, there's a win condition here for us as a team. Um, that just doesn't seem to exist for Everton. And I think that's, what's the most concerning thing is it, none of these games necessarily are games that they should win, which should be very concerning, I think. And I did see, and you're right, I mean, they've, they've got no, I mean, Solomon Rondon, it's a great example here. He was, he was brought in last summer, and yeah, I mean, he's a battering ram. But even if Lampard lined up with Rondon up top to start every single game and basically just said, hey, hit it up to this big bastard, that's more tactically sound than what we're seeing right now. I mean, I did see a little bit of change Um because I think in the first half, when Everton were sort of trying to get the ball in behind Liverpool, a lot of it was in the middle. And then they started to go down that left side with Gordon yeah. in, in the space that Alexander-Arnold had vacated. And that was no better. And they, they, exactly. He was yeah. alone. He yeah. was all by himself. Yeah. And, and that part of that is because, and I've maintained this whole season, that the playing with Charlotte's in out of position. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a player who's got kind of, you know, number 10, you know, kind of central attacking midfielder skill sets who wants to play as a striker. I think he's, you know, and, and he will score for them occasionally, but um, yeah, I think he's played out of position. I didn't understand that. I don't understand that the times when they were able to break, it was Gordon was flying on that left flank and there was nobody supporting him at all. And so if the game plan, so I, I didn't really understand the game plan. I think they should have, as soon as the second half kind of got underway and they kind of got their feet underneath them and they didn't concede, I think that's the moment where you start going, okay, let's throw a couple more players up on a counterattack. Now's our chance to maybe try and sneak one away because if you just sit back, Liverpool's going to hammer you and you're, you're I mean, they're going to score and that's what happened. So yeah, I, 
I don't know. It was a very odd match. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I thought Gordon played well, um, his uh, acting aside, but I think they just don't have the right, they, they clearly don't have the right players and they don't have them in the right position. It's not not coming together. Um, I tell you who it is coming together for, oh. which is unfortunate for Everton and, and Jordan. I feel like you'll you'll you might want to weigh in on this a little bit more. Burnley, who because of they they are suddenly resurgent, are now sitting two points ahead of Everton. Now Everton do have that game in hand, but it's I mean, right now Burnley are looking very good under entered name here. FIFA create a manager, manager Mike Jackson, who just seems to kind of who? kind of come. I know exactly who's, who's this guy. Isn't there? There's a first there's, match it, when he managed. They had to use some sort of blurry create a player photo for him. Like it was like that they like clearly he hadn't taken a photo, and so it's just kind of this weird, ugly looking, like pixelated photo of him for this international broadcast and. That should tell you everything you need to know about how last minute this was. I think he, he didn't even know he was getting that picture taken. Hey, Mike, what? <laughs> yes, Jordan. Uh, I was going to say, um, who thought that, like, you know, at this point, the experiment of, hey, we have eight games left. Let it, let, let's sack our, our longest, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Longest managing uh, manager in the Premier League uh, at the at the at the current moment, Sean Dyche, and let's go ahead and uh, let, let's try something new with eight games left. Let, let you know that's enough time, right? Eight games? Oh yeah, I think that's enough, and it's it, it's kind of working. Um, it's definitely and, you working. Know, you, They've got seven you, points in their last three games. Like we yeah. gave them lots of stick for sacking Sean Dyche, but damn, it seems to have worked. I guess. Yeah. And you know what's what's funny is you know we could kind of ask the same question of Everton, you know <laughs> should should they have sacked Frank <laughs> Lampard uh, to maybe get something to turn around because at the rate they're going they're going to go down and um it just makes me so happy uh, I oh I God. wouldn't say I have I have a beef with Roger Bennett. And the Men and Blazers uh, Twitter feed. Well, I certainly do. Uh, I, I, uh, I love that man. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do. Alone. Yeah, I, I do. I do troll him. No assaulting uh, balds here. I, I, I do troll him, and uh, it was just seeing the the, the sadness uh, just wash over Everton over this weekend. Just it, it makes makes me happier, which is weird to say because Newcastle. Won again this weekend, so I can't be happier. Yeah, he beat Norwich. Calm down. Um, speaking of Burnley, so, that, so Burnley also play Watford this weekend. That's actually a really, really big matchup. It's so big they put it on USA uh, Network. What? Uh, so, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about, about that later. But, I mean, to Everton's credit, as you were saying, Caleb, it's not it's not necessarily over. Burnley, they play they play Watford this weekend, which is sort of Watford's last last chance. They play. They have to play Aston Villa twice, and then they also play Tottenham. And on the final day, they play Newcastle, which, as we pointed out, is becoming more and more difficult by the week. So, still a long way to go for Burnley, but just their their resurgence, I think, right now is is sort of compounding the misery for Everton. Speaking of misery, uh, there was a lot of it for some Red Devils in North London. 
this weekend and uh, for the rest of us who just dislike Arsenal, also misery. Arsenal 3, Manchester United 1, um, Ralph Ragnick, who soon to be kicked upstairs, Ralph Ragnick, failing upwards, uh, is basically has said Manchester United um, is out of the running for fourth following this defeat in North London. They are now six points back from the fourth place Gunners. And the Lunders also have a game in hand. Uh, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, came back for this game. He marks his return with a goal. Um, but an early tally from the much maligned Nuno Tavares. Um, he, but he scored. Look at him go. Uh, he set the Gunners off on a victorious afternoon because Saka scored his penalty after he was brought down to the box by Alex Tellis. And then Granit Xhaka. That's a, that's a hell of a goal. I, I am. I don't know if I'm a. What I, a strike! I mean, what a hit! That, that I'm not a huge sports. Granite Shaka fan, but man, that's that's up there. That's probably one of the top ten of the season. Just a wonderful hit. Um. So yeah, and we're back. I think a few weeks ago we said when when Spurs had won big and Arsenal lost that it sort of switched around. And I think I said it's one of those things that next week it'll be completely in the reverse. And lo and behold, here we are. Arsenal are now three points up on Spurs, um, and with the North London Derby looming uh, in just a few weeks. So, I mean, is are, are we going to see more twists and turns here, guys? Is this or is this is this Arsenal's to lose? I mean, what? how do we make sense of the topsy-turviness that is the race for fourth? Um, we can't because it involves Arsenal and Totten. Great point. Um, they are... You know, I, I hate to use the adjective Spursy, but they're both so Spursy. Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it it's two steps forward, one step back every single season. And, uh, you know, with one position left, it's down to those two teams basically to uh, grab, the, grab the season by the neck. And I, I don't know if either team's capable. Um, the other team is – one of the teams is capable – because the other team is is more incapable, if that makes sense. Uh, okay, so I, I actually have a quick, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, Nuno Tavares goal, right? Uh, which you know, good for him, uh, great for him. He, you know, good positioning in the uh, at the at the back of the back of the uh, uh, you know back of the goal, and just easy little tap in. Uh, quick game though. Since okay. the two thousand, since the two thousand sixteen two thousand seventeen uh, summer transfer window, how many, how much American dollars uh, has uh, Manchester United spent on center backs? Well, first of all, this is a this is about English football, so I'm going to take my answer, but then I'm going to convert it to pounds. Um, so, <laughs> how how do I send you dollars? <laughs> Uh, uh, trans- uh, so it's uh, transfermarket.us automatically okay. converts everything to dollars. And you should do transfermarket.uk. Um, I'm going to say $100 million over the past five seasons. What was the question? I'm sorry. Who, which, which club uh, are you talking about? Manchester yeah. United. So 16-17. Yeah. Which is five seasons, right? Yeah, uh, let's see. 16-17, 17, 17, 18, 18, 19, 19, 20, 21, 22. Six. Yeah. Six. Uh, yeah. One, two, three, four, five or six. Yeah. Um, well, when did Lindelof join? And then there was Bailly as well. 
But those, I think that was before 16. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. No, because Jose would have come in. So Vic, so Lindelof, Bailly, Maguire, Veron. Central defenders? Yes, central defenders only. I'm going to guess... 275... Oh, shit. It's in dollars. Um, I'm going to guess... <laughs> Two hundred and seventy-five million pounds. Um, no way. So that converts like that converts like one hundred and ninety. No, no, it's other way, other way, other way, other way, other way. It's gonna be more American dollars because it's like it's it's like one one three hundred million dollars. Yeah, so three like yeah. Let's 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 just say three hundred and ten million U.S. dollars. That's my guess. Uh, Caleb, you win the game. Okay. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the prize is nothing because you guessed closest without going over. Okay, uh, it's actually $220 million American or 175 million pounds uh, sterling. Good math. Since 2016-17. It's still on a lot. Four center backs, wow. on, on four center backs. Eric Bailly. Uh, Victor Lindelof, Harry Maguire, and Raphael Varane. And you can legitimately ask yourself, uh, you know, which one of those, if any, is a decent starting center, uh, 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 Premier League center back? Uh, well, because Varane, what was, what was, what, obviously. What was Varane doing, though, on that first goal? Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know, but I mean, but, on Maguire, cause, like, Maguire was because, because I mean, he, he gave up a laugh of a goal. Eddie uh, Eddie Cantia wasn't in the box, so he was not marking anybody. He had just completely misjudged the flight of the ball to Bakari Osaka, and I mean, so did Alex Tellez. But you know, you kind of you kind of assume your forty-five million pound, uh, uh, you know, former Real Madrid center back, uh, France international is gonna you know, you know definitely take care of that for you. Uh, yeah, no, what was he doing? So and you know. If you're Eric, if you're Eric Ten Hag, you look at your center backs that consist of Eric Bailly, Victor Lindelof, Harry Maguire, Rafael Varane, and Phil Jones, and legitimately, who do you want there next season? I think the answer is clear, Phil Jones. No, so here's here's this is it's kind of an interesting conversation to have about Manchester United right now because there was a poll. Done, and I think it was like an internet poll, so you know, take it for what it's worth. But basically, Sky Sports asked a bunch of viewers, you know, of these Manchester United players, who should they, who, who, who is, who should most be, who should, who basically, who should be kept and who should be axed. You know, what's your vote on whether this person should stay or go? And so it was basically on percentage of people, whether people said this person should stay or this person should go. And no surprise, very few players got the majority saying that they should stay. But here's the problem with that that logic. And I know it's it's easy and it's reactionary. And and yeah, I mean Harry Maguire has been awful these these especially these past few weeks. Veron was terrible this weekend. Um, you know Lindelof has just looked so out of position. But what's the more likely thing? Because Manchester United are struggling right now. We have to, and I, I think it comes down to one or two things. Uh, number one, every single player out there is shit. 
all these players suck. They're terrible. They were they were paid way too much money for, and they're just awful. Or number two, they're just in a system that doesn't work, and it's just not fitting their abilities. And there's no chemistry because it's a bunch of players from from different eras, and they've gone through two different tactical systems within the past year. I think that's more than likely the case. Also, you have to consider from an Eric Ten Hag perspective, even if he wanted to go in and say, okay, every single one of these center backs is out and bring in a whole new batch. He can't do that. They don't have that much money. They're not going to be able to do that in the summer. So, yes, it's easy to react and to say all these center backs are terrible right now and every single one of these players is awful. But this, I think the more than likely thing is that's not necessarily the case. These are still good players. They just lack any semblance of motivation right now, number one. And number two... They need a system, and that system includes defending corner kicks, defending free kicks. That system includes what do we do when, when we're attacking on free kicks and, what, and, and, and corner kicks. What do we do when the ball's here and the ball's there? And they need somebody to come in and essentially establish that and to get that team playing in that way. Manchester United have not been playing in that way for the majority of this season. They've been dragged kicking and screaming into the position that they're in right now because of Ronaldo. So, so I, I, okay, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but, it's, but I, I think what you the realistic view is Maguire and Veron are probably still going to be there next season, and they're probably going to have to be. And you're – and you're, and you're probably and you're right. You're right. I was I was just pointing out the fact that they've all they've all been exceptionally poor. Right. Uh, but I don't think it's. I don't. I, I wouldn't say it was down to individual. I would say it's down to the fact that this team just has no system and identity. And okay. and there's no way forward with them right now because they don't have a manager taking them forward. They have a stopgap. But I have to ask this question at some point, and you have to ask this question of these players. When does the responsibility flip and you know become a personal responsibility? Because you could only accept mediocrity in yourself so much until that becomes ingrained. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm just wondering, you know, what what the dressing room is like right now, and if whether or not Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, besides dealing with the personal tragedy, is ju- is just hating himself for. For have, for coming back to this, I don't know. I mean, I remember, I I remember a time when John Stones, when he first went to Manchester City, and people were just like, "Oh, why they do that?" Like it, it seemed like the difference between when he was at Everton, still playing and doing well, and then he went to Manchester City, and it just seemed like, "Oh, he's not as good as they thought they were," and now he's great. So again, I think it takes time. I think it takes a system, and I think. Ten Hag is going to understand that. Whether or not he's going to be able to get them playing in that system and to overcome all of these different struggles and hurdles and bring this dressing room together is a different question altogether. And I think they're several years away from that best-case scenario. But... Okay. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I just... I, I, it's, it's not great, but I, I think it is more down to the fact that this, is, that this team is basically lacking... Any any way forward at the moment, and some of it has to do with you know the players, but I think a lot of it has to do with just the structure of the club and the way things have gone. Uh, one final counterpoint to what all to what you just said right there, Adam. Um, so then, does it require a system and a properly motivated manager for you to convert on a penalty kick? Because that Bruno Fernandez uh, penalty kick was one of the worst I've ever seen, 
You hop. I don't know. Did you see Jorginho miss against West Ham? That was pretty bad. Uh, but I mean, doesn't Jorginho have a recent history of missing? Uh, no, I know, thought I think he was like he's missed, supposed to be Mister Automatic. No, but going back to uh, Euro twenty twenty, he missed in that uh, that tournament. Yeah, but he like half his goals this season for Chelsea are penalties. But uh, yeah, just to hop and then put just to dink it now, off the left the left post out, uh, you know, almost directly, you know, parallel to the goal line uh, was <laughs> was a beautiful mistake um well and i mean that's that kind of i think starts a little bit of a discussion here which is so this is a a new a fairly new advent i guess i will say in the game where these players are stepping up and taking these little stutter steps and seeing if they can make the goalkeeper move and then put it into the opposite corner now i may be maybe progressive politically but i am an old soul when it comes to this sort of thing i think you just pick your spot and put it there and if the goalkeeper guesses right he guesses right and that's that's what he benefits that's exactly what i said when that happened i was like just pick your spot put it there you can find these little areas where it's difficult for the goalkeeper to hit and just hit that spot again and again and again in training instead of trying this sort of fancy stuff so yeah i think for bruno that kind of that stuff is catching up to him because you just can't do that. I just don't think it's an effective way of taking penalties. But maybe that's just uh, me being an old soul, being no, an old fart. No, no, I agree with you too because <laughs> you know, uh, honestly, with with placing penalty kicks uh, and making the goalie react to it instead of trying to get him to react to you, uh, the first one is a lot more replicatable and successful over a uh, uh, over a longer period of time with a larger uh, you know uh, uh, data size than the other way around. Uh, because you know when you're placing your when you're placing your penalty kick and then making the goalie react, uh, that is a very uh, repeatable action, yeah. and you can work on you know fine tuning your position your positioning in the in the uh, in the goal. Whereas with the stutter step, you're introducing you're introducing uh, you know extra extra you know uh, extra motion to a process that is already you know uh, a uh, a high leverage situation. So you're constantly having to think, okay, is this the correct number of stutter steps? Are my, is my yeah. stutter steps, you know, is, is the, 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 the cadence of my stutter step too large that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm out of position on the ball. Um, yeah. Did the Very goalie good. move at all? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're introducing a lot of variables into a situation where as the penalty kick taker, you want to remove as many variables for yourself as possible. So no, I agree with you. Um, but it, you know what? The way the way uh, we just talked about penalty kicks for for thirty seconds uh, that can dis- <laughs> that can also describe uh, taking it back uh, the race for fourth place uh, because it feels like both teams currently in the uh, the the real fight for the last Champions League spot uh, Arsenal and Tottenham overly complicate things for themselves when they don't need to. Definitely. And you could honestly say that has been the theme of both of their clubs for the past couple of seasons is that they overly complicate things when they don't need to. Uh, you know, the Antonio Conte, you know, will he or won't, won't he 
uh, move. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the Harry Kane transfer saga. Uh, you know, the uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang uh, transfer saga. Um, <laughs> the Emery years. Uh, the burn, the burn, uh, burn Leno situation, um, which I feel sorry for him. Um, the yeah. uh, Aaron, Martin- Aaron, I, I'm, I'm happy to see Aaron Ramsdale succeeding. Uh, the Emmy Martinez situation, uh, which ultimately led to him being successful at Aston Villa. That, uh, so, be. yeah, no, uh, both those teams, Tottenham and Arsenal, just complicate things for themselves more than they need to. So, you know, that's I, honestly, I think that's what we could qualify this race for fourth place this whole season is all of the teams have complicated things uh, for themselves more than they need to, uh, including uh, your club, Adam West Ham. Uh, that's that's well, I would say that's not complicated. We just don't have enough players to do what we're wanting to do right now. Um, Caleb, I, I feel like my my little rant sort of talked over whatever it is point that you were any point that you were going to make about Arsenal versus Manchester United. So I do apologize about that. By the way, I didn't mean to rant. I think it was just I hear this argument about players, and I'm just like, well, that that doesn't make any sense because that would suggest that they just went out and bought bad players, but we know they didn't because they were good at one point. So how do we get them good again? But Caleb. Uh, any, any anything to add to, to Manchester United versus uh, versus Arsenal and the defeat? I mean, we're seeing obviously United fall out of the the race for fourth at the moment, um, and so that's just sort of complicating their rebuilding process for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think those are good points. I mean, I think it's more of a strategy than a player thing. Obviously, there's some players. That, there's going to be a lot of turnover because there are players who are out of contract at Manchester United. Um, yeah, I think if you look at the way that they're structured, there's not a lot. Co- there's not enough coverage. Um, from like a defensive midfielder for the center backs, and so they're forced they're pulled out of position, and and then they're in a the bad in a bad position, and then they make bad decisions because they're not in a great place. And, yeah. and um, you know, Ragnick wanted to change um, formations, and the players kind of refused to do that. And so, yeah, it's it's just not a good situation. And a lot of that will resolve over the summer as players leave, and and you've got a new kind of permanent manager, and all those things. Um, one thing I will say, the last thing I would just say is that in terms of the inconsistency between West Ham, Manchester United, Tottenham, and Arsenal in, in the race for fourth, one thing about Arsenal that I think bears remembering is they're a fairly young side, um, and they've got a lot of young players in some key positions. Yeah. And I think that is one of the reasons why they are less consistent. And I, I think getting Inketia uh, up top as opposed to Lacazette is a good decision. I think the reason Arteta stuck with Lacazette for so long was because there was clearly some um, issues inside that um, you know locker room, and um, you know Lacazette was a steady force and it was a younger side, and, and, and he brought some experience. But I think getting uh, Nketi up top has has made them more dangerous side. So I would expect a little bit more consistency at Arsenal over the past few weeks, but we will see. There's a really funny. Um video out there maybe maybe a gif at this point but Inkedia is lining up and I think it's Sancho I think I think he's next to Anthony Alenga and Jaden Sancho comes over to sort of like kind of mark him and so he's between two guys and he looks at both Alenga and Sancho and he just sort of steps behind Jaden Sancho when he's not looking and right before the clip cuts out Sancho looks in the middle and doesn't see anybody he's like what (laughs) it was just it was it was it was it was really funny uh if you can go back and, and look at that um so yeah, so that that was a a big advantage to Arsenal uh, in the race. Uh, 
for fourth. Um, and not that they were necessarily in it before this weekend, but they're certainly out of it uh, now, at least in terms of, of league position. Um, West Ham falling to Chelsea 1-0 at Stamford Bridge. Um, Christian Pulisic, the American, that's probably the only good thing about this result, uh, comes off the bench to give Chelsea the win in what I will call controversial circumstances, but maybe I'm wrong. I could be biased. Um, West Ham clearly kind of throwing all their eggs into the Europa League basket with their starting lineup. There was no Antonio. There was no Jared Bowen, um, who actually did have a pretty decent chance coming in off the bench. Uh, there was no Declan Rice, which was I was surprised by that one. Um, and it's I, I kind of want to talk about that uh, a little bit, but... First, I just I kind of want to point point something out. So, starting out in this game, I when I saw the lineup, I thought, okay, well, if we lose, we lose because obviously we're not, you know, we're focusing more on Frankfurt on Thursday. You know, we're 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 rotating the squad. I was very happy. Actually, I was I was a little more happy to see the squad be rotated and to see Mark Noble get a start. Um, you know, and I thought for the most part. Considering the circumstances, West Ham played very, very well. Um, didn't get a whole lot of chances at the other end. It was a very defensive lineup. Uh, you know, three three center backs, even though right now we only really have one true out-and-out center back, which is Craig Dawson. Um, and I thought that they did really well. But to lose it like that, to have Craig Dawson sent off on what what I think it was definitely a foul— on Lukaku in the say I, I mean, I, I I think it was. I think it was a penalty, and it was a it was a giveaway penalty. Was it a red card? Uh, Lukaku didn't have control of the ball. He went down a little easy. There were some other defenders around him. I think there's enough there to say that it isn't. Also, the referee gave a yellow, then decided to go back and look at it, and then give the red card, which I, which I didn't agree with. I, I don't think it was a sending off. I, I just don't think there were enough ingredients there, and especially now considering that West Ham have no center back for the game against Arsenal this weekend. I mean, that's just kind of shit. But, to that point, if we can use VAR to go back and look at every single tiny little detail of the foul by Craig Dawson on Lukaku, then why can't we use VAR to go back and look and see that before Chelsea sent the ball up out of their own corner to score the goal, that the ball actually went off of a Chelsea player out of bounds, and it should have been a West Ham corner kick. Because if we can use VAR to go back and send a player off, I don't understand how we can't use VAR to go back and say, oh, we missed this, it went out of bounds, so this goal can't count because West Ham did get a corner kick. I don't understand that. I think is, it's another thing VAR, that I don't understand. It's kind of like when the NFL and students are replay, I think they're the first kind of major sports league to do that. Yeah, and there was always kind of this. It's like, well, you can review, you can review a pass interference call, which could change the impact of a playoff game. But you can review, and you can't review like a holding call, but you can review, you know, whether this was a catch or not. And it took a while to kind of figure out, okay, where do you draw the line? And I think it's going to be even more difficult for soccer because, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's a great question because um, I think it was actually in the Arsenal Manchester United match where, um, you know, they went back to look at one thing. And then they come back and they go, well, you know, he was offside for that goal, but there was also a penalty in the box that we didn't see at all. And so now there's now soccer gets to take a penalty. It's like, well, that's something we went back to look for at all. So like now can you review stuff? So, you know, you review anything that happens in the box. So it's just, 
it, it, it's going to take some ironing out, I think. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, it's the same people who brought VAR in who are going to do the ironing out. I just don't entirely trust that. But, you know, you're right. I, I, and it has. And I think it still, to some extent, is being being sort of figured out in the NFL. And I think there are still some questions about it. Um, but I just, and that's not to say, look, you know, great goal by Pulisic. And yes, West Ham went into that match. I, I, they definitely weren't trying to win it. And so that's okay. I was I was prepared for a defeat, you know, but when Chelsea get the penalty and then they miss and then they come back and it, they need, you know, the, I don't know, it, it, it hurt because they needed, they needed our only central defender to be sent off just to score in the last minute on their own home ground. Ridiculous. Um... To that end, Jordan, it, 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 this is kind of a, a one of those sort of more bigger than one club kind of question. David Moyes throws out, I don't want to say a throwaway lineup, but certainly a B team lineup. You know, Yarmolenko and Ben Rama starting up top. Of course, it is. That's kind of a gamble when you do that as a manager, and and you you know sort of take a step back and prioritize one competition especially when the margins for that competition you're focusing on are so razor thin i mean i'm i'm excited for thursday but i'm i'm kind of shitting bricks i mean it's 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 terrifying um that this is what our season has come down to so you know i mean is that is that too much of a gamble for west ham is he threatening momentum do you think when you start to throw on you know yarmolenko and and sort of play the safe defensive B team game against Chelsea against Arsenal. Uh, first of all, Adam, uh, you use the M word. Uh, that doesn't exist, according to myself. Um, momentum? No, it's no momentum. Yes, yeah, okay. momentum. Uh, no, it doesn't it, exist. It wasn't. No, no momentum does sure not it does. exist. Sure, it does. And, and it's it's not something that could be it's not something that it could be quantified. Okay, let's 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 just set it right there. Oh, um, I, I, I've got an example. I think it can, but go ahead. Okay, so anyways, no, I actually think it's smart on his part because he's reducing uh, the number of variables required for West Ham to qualify for the Champions League next season. Uh, because if you if you continue to push yourself in the race for fourth place. You're also looking for results from Tottenham, Arsenal, uh, Manchester United, and Wolves to go your way. Those are four other teams that have to, uh, you know, have uh, have matches end with beneficial results to you. Whereas uh, to get to the Europa League final, all you have to do is win two matches against one team. That's very it. good team, but yeah, very good team at that. But you're reducing the number of variables required for you to get qualification so no i don't think it's a gamble i think it's the smart play especially for a team that is as injured as west ham is right now yeah i mean kurt zumba out i said diop out i mean it's it's uh, angelo bono who's still been out from the beginning of the season all those guys by the way i think are in some way kind of back in training um but none of them are going to be available for Thursday, and I I don't think any of them are going to be available for uh, <clears throat> for Sunday either. Maybe uh, I said Diop, maybe. I was going to ask you a question, Adam, because, I mean, you just have to be thankful you have healthy uh, fullbacks at this point 
because you had a lineup that included Vladimir Sufal and Arthur Masuaku as as center back, center back three. No, they weren't. Cresswell and, and Ben Johnson were the center backs. And I, no, I thought it was Sufal no. and, uh, and Cresswell. No. It was Ben um, Johnson? Yeah, I mean, Johnson is, is kind of more of a center back. Now, they may have switched around positions, but I think Sufal plays... I mean, it's better to have him forward because he's just a little bit better when it comes to passing in the final third. I, that's that's an area that Ben Johnson's got to work on. He's he's fast. He's strong. You know, he's got he's he's I think decent defensively. Uh, doesn't always make the best decisions when when he gets down the wing. Um, so so but, but, but so, saying- so Sioux Fall is is the more advanced right sided defender. What you're saying is, if uh, Ben Johnson had a comp in the Premier League, he is uh, he is the West Ham's Aaron Juan Bissaka. Um, Aaron Juan Bissaka is better defensively, <laughs> but sure. But the same issues going forward, yes, yes, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I would say so, definitely. But I mean, it's his first season where he's getting a lot of action, so I think that's that's to be expected. By the way, right. um, I do want to talk about, just real quick, so there's a bit of drama about the West Ham versus Eintracht-Frankfurt match coming up. So I, I don't know how many people paid attention in the, in the last round in the quarterfinal. Um, the second leg of Barcelona versus Eintracht-Frankfurt was played in Barcelona at the Camp Nou. And if you watch that game, you notice that there were a lot of Eintracht-Frankfurt fans... Throughout the stadium, um, a lot of them, they traveled in mass. And actually, both clubs right now are being looked at by UEFA for not um, not following the rules when it comes to ticket allocation and ticket sales. You're not supposed to sell tickets to away fans in, in otherwise home fan sections. It could be quite dangerous as we've seen throughout the history of this game. Now, that's not to say that Barcelona fans or Eintracht Frankfurt fans are essentially predisposed to violence, although I've got a story about that in a minute. But basically, there's a reason that they give you a ticket allocation and that the the away team gets to sell those tickets to their own fans. Everybody stays together. They're all there. They come in as a group. They get to leave as a group. It's easier to control the crowd. It's just safer for everybody if we do it this way. So... Obviously, they didn't follow that, and obviously that means that some Barcelona fans decided to sell their tickets at inflated prices to Eintracht Frankfurt fans who were more than happy to buy them and come on over. So, flash forward to now. The ticket allocation for Eintracht Frankfurt fans at the London Stadium on Thursday is going to be 3000 Frankfurt is not happy about this. Um, they think it should be more. That is what teams get at the London Stadium. It's no different. It's no more or no less than anybody else has gotten. At the London Stadium, so that's that's I mean that's just the way the West Ham does it. We like for the majority of our our of our of the crowd to be West Ham fans. That's just the way that it goes. So Frankfurt or so West Ham underst- kind of understands that more Frankfurt fans are probably going to want to come over, and they send out a statement basically saying, "Hey, just a reminder: any West Ham season ticket holder that is caught selling your tickets for Thursday's game." On a third-party site, 
you you're going to be banned. I mean, that's the rule. That's in the bylaws. That's the way. That's what. That's the contract you sign when you sign get the tickets. That's the way it goes. So if you get caught doing that to let's say a Frankfurt fan who wants to come over here and wants to pay you, you know, double what's what you paid for it, you're going to get in trouble. The Frankfurt sporting director did not like this. Issued some statements that I thought were kind of not good for somebody who's in an authority figure to say those things and to rile up the fans. And so now the word is that Frankfurt's going to have 10,000 fans coming over because they can't control if they travel, but there are going to be 10,000 Frankfurt fans traveling to London and they only have a 3,000 seat allocation. So things could get pretty spicy on on Thursday. It's, it's going to be a little interesting. Also, add to that, earlier this season, Frankfurt played Real Betis in the round of 16 in Seville. The next night was when West Ham was going to play Sevilla in Seville. And supposedly, Frankfurt fans and West Ham fans got into it. Now, the story from the West Ham side is that Frankfurt fans are the ones who attacked them outside of a restaurant. There are videos. Chairs are being thrown. Lots of stuff's being said. So, there's some previous with these fans. There's going to be a lot of them who don't have seats. They're going to be angry. I'm just if I'm the Metropolitan Police in London, I'm getting ready for this one because it could be it could be intense tomorrow night. I'm I'm a little nervous about that. Hopefully, it's just a good time. But it is it is getting a little. Uh, it's a, it's it's get there's there's it's there's going to be some aggro. We'll just put it that way. Okay, so obviously I am understanding you this way. Okay. That you support the team allocating the 3,000 because that is what every other away, fa- away, away fan you know, yeah. team has received in terms of allocation of seats. And then I and we, we, also, we, we sold out our, our group. And I believe you also assume that as a season ticket supporter, yeah, that if you do get caught, yeah, you will be banned. I mean, we could talk so, about the 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 benefits so, or the the non benefits of that rule, but if it is the rule, you have to follow the rule. So, can I ask you a question? And I'm gonna throw out a it's a hypothetical. So, say for instance, you have a prior engagement and you cannot attend that match. Yes, you're out of town. You it, like your wife it will murder you if you go to that match instead of doing whatever. I my I don't know if my wife murders me, Jordan. I don't know. Are, are you okay? Blink twice if you're uh-huh. if you're under duress. Uh, I'm fine. I'm just, okay. I'm just part of the hypothetical. <laughs> so, what if you approach your buddies and say, yeah. "Hey guys, no, you can do that. Uh, I got these tickets right here. Uh, what's the best offer?" And no. Okay, so you can so there's there's ways as a West Ham fan that you can sell your ticket that's not through a third party or that's or or that is that is under the the that is within the the I don't know what do you want to call it the regulations of the club like you can do that it's but not what, like it's not like that ticket just goes to waste like you can you can still do that it's no, just you you can't I'm not you can't you can't purposely sell it to a Frankfurt fan and knowing that and and allowing them to sit in in an otherwise non segregated section of the of the stadium. What I'm trying to say is though, is it not your God given right because you've purchased those tickets from the club? No, because when you purchase the tickets, you you sign an agreement, and that's that's part of that agreement. 
But what if? Okay, what if? What if? What if no one on the open market was going to pay more than face value for your ticket? Then and you take someone face value. What if someone from Eintracht Frankfurt doubles it? Nope. And that allows you to make that allows you to you know, no. purchase your season ticket next season. Jordan, th- this is not this is not American football. This is like I mean, this is serious. I mean, it's it's very risky to put fans in that sort of situation. Like people get beat up over this shit. So in order for West Ham to abide by the rules that UEFA sets for fan safety, they have to do it like this. Because if if a Frankfurt fan gets beat up and 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 you know seriously hurt. The club is could be held liable. So that I mean that that's why they have these these rules in place. They just want to make sure that everybody's safe because the unfortunate part of football is that's that's just kind of part of it. So then my question is this why did we ever get away from standing? Because it's, it's unsafe. But it clearly would solve a it would solve a problem. Well, I mean, they can, I, they, they can implement I, they can implement safe standing. Then they might. I don't know, but that's you know. So because I I believe I believe Andrek uh, Frankfurt is in the the right here. This is a this is a semifinal of no, a major. You European. have a home. You have a home. You get a home game. You don't get to come over here with all your fans and just take over. I'm the not stadium. saying all. I'm not saying all your fans, but a quarter of it. No. No. No, that's the allocation. If they want to set West Ham an allocation that's low, that's on them. And West Ham fans love to abide by that. But that's just the way that things go right now. But no, you, you get they get a home game. They'll be fine. All right, Caleb. You gotta you gotta break the tie here. How do you feel about this situation? Um so one of the things that's kind of interesting about the Champions League is at the start of this year, and I know this is a Champions League, but this is Europa, correct? Yes. But Champions League changed it to where um, away goals didn't matter as much, right. um, or didn't matter at all, actually, yes. uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. I, and I always thought that was I always thought that was a good decision because I thought it was unfair, you know, for somebody like Villarreal to go play at Anfield where there's you know hundred thousand people and then go back to their stadium, which could be massive too. I have no idea, but I know Villarreal is a it's small <laughs> city, so go back there and deal with that. Um, so what I would say is. I think that West Ham, if they've got a policy set in place, I think it's fun to buy by that policy. I think if West Ham wasn't selling their allocation and there were like empty seats and they were keeping them from the Frankfurt fans, I think that'd be ridiculous. Um, right. But I mean, you know, I think if, if, you know, maybe they should up it a little bit for, you know, considering, you know, the, the fact that this isn't just a regular kind of home match. There's more going on. But, I mean, you know, I, I think if there are rules, then you can follow those rules. It's funny because when you're in the championship, it's it's not necessarily all that common for away teams to to buy their whole allocation. Or sometimes home teams won't buy their whole, you know, yeah. get their you know, whole allocation. So, away. So, it is just kind of interesting, um, you know. To, to be on the other side of that problem. But I say, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. The whole selling and reselling thing, I think is a, that's a little too, um, that, that leans more towards, uh, ni- more 1984 than I would, than I would enjoy. <laughs> I think the West Ham should be able to sell an odd ticket to a Frankfurt fan. And I don't think they're going to be knifing each other in the stands, but yeah, I think, that. uh, in general, the, uh, the allocation process makes sense. 
I think I think that's a win okay. for me. No, I agree. I, I understand that because it's it is different. Like it's not I, we don't we we do not do sports like that in the United States. Like there yeah. are countless instances where you have like like I mean I remember going to a Dallas Cowboys game and there were way too many Philadelphia Eagles fans in there. Like, but that's just the way it goes. But go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. I was going to say. So the only way I would ever feel comfortable uh, in the situation you're describing, personally, was if I was a member of the if if I had a voting if I had a vote in the way the the organization was run, whether it was like 51% fan ownership like they do in the Bundesliga, or like you know at Barcelona where you're a member of the uh, of the club, and you know you have you know you have a, a, a power because. Once I purchase those tickets, I feel like it's my God-given right to do whatever with them because that is my money I've spent towards you. Therefore, if you're going to restrict me on what I can do with those tickets and you're also going to uh, in, you know, increase prices occasionally, um, then I want to vo- vote in how this club is run. So, Okay, are you going to demand that of Newcastle when you're – when you're in Europe, no, because uh-huh, okay. honestly, uh, no, no, because honestly, I know <laughs> because honestly, I know they're going to do they're going to do what's best for my club because they got enough money to do it. <laughs> right, but I mean, I feel like they're going to have the same exact rules that West Ham would. This could easily get, be happening at St James's Park. And you're probably right, but I'm not in that situation. But if I was, I would demand a voice. I mean, I at St James's Park, they put the away fans up in the back corner at the very top section. All I'm saying is, Adam, to feel comfortable in your situation with what you're laying out, I would demand a voice, a vote, like a voting voice on how the club is run. Okay. And I'm saying that if I had a season ticket to this one, I would not be selling it, and I would be going and screwing my head off. And if for oh, some reason I couldn't, I would find a West Ham fan who did want to go. And, of course, you're, I'm, not acting like, I'm not acting like I wouldn't go. What I am saying is I would just want to have agency over my own ticket. Because I paid for it. Because well, because do, it's not. But like, you don't. You don't. You have to sell it to a, another West Ham fan, which I imagine would be something that you would want to do because you would want more support for your club in the stadium during a home during a home tie of a European of a European semifinal. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think we've we, we've reached an impasse where I explain <laughs> my position any further. Uh, because I feel like I, I, I well, all I'm saying is I would have some caveats on how uh, you know given given the situation you've laid out how I would prefer it to operate. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I do think season ticket holders get somewhat of a vote. They have they have and, they have some say, but it's not it's not like a like a board or anything like that. I, so I, see and see uh, that uh, uh, yeah, uh, especially in a especially in a situation. To where there's not like a hard salary cap, that would be something uh, as a fan uh, of a club that I would definitely want to push for. Uh, because you know we we we've talked about Portsmouth, we've talked about Sunderland, uh, we've talked about Blackpool. You know, one owner, you know, hell Newcastle, uh, one owner, you know. Miss uh, uh, misruns the club for a you know extended period of time and poof you could you you could disappear. I mean Rangers is is not technically the same organization that it right. was when it was founded because it went into liquidation. Yeah, 
So, yeah, this I, is I a think, th- this is a this is definitely I, I I definitely get what you're saying. This is a conversation. I sorry, I didn't anticipate this getting getting this intricate, uh, but it's it is a good conversation. I just don't think it's what we have time for right now. But I no, I, no, I appreciate no, your no. points, Jordan. You do make a very very valid valid reasoning. Uh, speaking of Newcastle. Getting back on track here into some extra time. Uh, three 0 win against Norwich. Um, um, two goals. Two goals from uh, from converted midfielder <laughs> who suddenly discovered he was a striker again. Joe Linton. Uh, yeah, B- uh, uh, Big Joe did a job. <laughs> oh, uh, at first, I thought I was like, okay, they're gonna play. Uh, uh, it's gonna be like a four man midfield. Uh, Saint Maxim and Murphy are gonna be up top. And then I was like, wait a minute, it's a 4-3-3 with Big Joe, the number seven? I was like, okay. Uh, and then he proceeded to get into some decent attacking positions, and he put two goals home. Yeah. Um, did good job. However. Did, did good. Uh, he did good. Uh, however, the plaudits, as usual, go to the man himself uh, as as my favorite soccer TikToker calls him, uh, Bruno Gummy Bears. Um <laughs> That uh, just picking James McLean's pocket and then just the casual chip over uh, Tim Cruel, which was unnecessary. I mean, he he could have taken Cruel left and just put it clean on goal, and that that would have still been a, a pretty move. But just the audacity of just the little the little chip over the top of the keeper as he's going down. Uh, Newcastle hasn't had that level of uh, of you know audacity in quite a while. Um. You know, I talked okay. about the header, uh, the, the the header goal from Bruno in the in the last minute against Leicester, uh, going into my top five Newcastle goals of my time as a fan. Um, yeah, just just further evidence that I don't know what it is about playing in France, but I think you just have he had that was a little bit of Hatem Ben Arfa uh, <laughs> for the people that were Hatem Ben Arfa while his time at Newcastle. Uh, yeah, just a little good, bit of the spice. Good the good bits. It, it was all good bits when he was at Newcastle. Um, it, it was, it was just, a, it was the spice, and that has been missing from Newcastle for a very long time. Yeah, and I'm glad to see it back. And technically, we're in the top half end of the table, and uh, we're <laughs> if 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 things just absolutely fell right for us, we could back ass or back asswards our way into a. Uh, uh, Europa Conference League qualification. Yeah, well, don't get too far ahead of yourself. You should play Liverpool this weekend. Um, <laughs> Brighton two. That's why I said South. South that's Hampton why I said everything two. had to go right for us. That has to go right, Adam. I was yeah. I was putting that qualifier in front of it. Uh-huh. I mean, we're only going to beat Liverpool one 0 this weekend. I mean, so yeah. Uh, James Ward Prowse inspiring the fight back from Southampton in their two two draw with. Brighton, another free kick goal for him. A couple of goalless draws, Leicester City, nil, Villa, nil. We mentioned uh, Brentford also drawing Tottenham, uh, nil, nil. And then, of course, we talked about Burnley, uh, a 1-0 win against Wolves this weekend. Wolves looking a bit rusty after those two weeks off. So, uh, And then, of course, Burnley also beat uh, Southampton last Thursday. And as Caleb pointed out, three wins and a draw in their last five matches and a great run by their new man, uh, Mike Jackson. So, looking at the table very quickly before we take a trip down to the championship, here's your Premier League. 
Going into this weekend, Manchester City still top on 80 points. Liverpool with 79. Chelsea on 65 after that win. And Arsenal into fourth on 60 points. Two points behind them. And on the same amount of games is Tottenham. Uh, Manchester United with 54 points in sixth. And West Ham are in seventh with 52 points. Wolves, Newcastle, and Leicester City round out your top 10. Brighton are into... uh, uh, I think well, I think they're still in eleventh. Um, after their draw, Brentford, Southampton, uh, Crystal Palace in uh, your twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. Aston Villa are, are into fifteenth. Leeds, after a goalless draw with Crystal Palace on Monday, are in sixteenth on thirty-four points. Burnley uh, on thirty-one, uh, sitting just outside of the relegation zone. And Everton, Watford, and Norwich still occupy the bottom three. I think Watford this weekend essentially could be all but relegated if they do not beat Burnley on Saturday. Uh, we will talk more about what your weekend looks like here in a minute. But first, let's take a look at the championship. Fulham, still promoted. Still still up. Still up. Um, but their their game against Bournemouth this weekend maybe wasn't quite what we had hoped, Caleb. Yeah, frustrating for Fulham. Um, extra time, a stoppage time goal for Burnmouth. Uh, penalty actually on a, you know, it's tough, you know, you're a phone fan. And so, you know, you think it's a little tic-tac thing. Um, you know, he, Gary Wilson clipped him, Burnmouth scores an equalizer. Um, and so Fulham, rather than securing a title, comes over with a 1-1 draw. And then they come out on Tuesday and fall to the uh, Red Hot Nottingham Forest. <laughs> and that means that Fulham has a grand total of one win in their last five matches. Now, that's the bad news. Good news from a Fulham perspective is they're eight points clear of second, which is Bournemouth. Although Bournemouth has a game in hand. I think Fulham, because they have a 30, they have a plus 30 goal difference over the, near, the closest team, um, effectively just needs to get a single point from their final two matches to secure the um, championship title. I think Mitro has so, like 20 of those 30 goals. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Mitro actually is, I believe, um, two goals away from setting the second division all-time record from passing Guy Whittington. He's got 41 oh, wow. goals so far Okay. this season. Speaking of Mitro, she was named the um, uh, EFL championship player of the season uh, last week. Um, Good. Which is great and well-deserved. Yeah. Uh, other Fulham players on the team, Anthony Robinson, which is funny because he hasn't been starting and people give a lot of stick, but I think it's fantastic. Hey, Wilson and Tosin Adarabayo are our full members on the EFL championship team. That's the team was made up of Nottingham Forest and AFC Bournemouth players, um, except for Lee Nichols, the Huddersfield Town uh, keeper. Who, uh, Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, the the key things for for folks who care about the championship to pay attention to the second automatic promotion spot is still up for grabs. Um, Nottingham Forest uh, is in third. Um, they are three points behind Burnmouth for that second spot, which will be automatic promotion. However, the final match of the season is between those two teams. I think nice. I know they play each other, um, so there there will be a, there will there will be a Burnmouth. Um, forest match that will probably decide who goes up um, for automatic uh, promotion. It won't be their last match of the season, but uh, it'll be their second to last. That will be on Tuesday, May 3rd. So definitely pay attention to that. The other kind of storyline is that um, there are kind of six teams fighting for the four 
you know, the, the remaining three effectively playoff spots because, you know, Burnmouth and Nottingham Forest didn't get one of them. So Huddersfield Town, Luton Town, Sheffield United, United, Middlesbrough, Blackburn, and Millwall, all a chance, I think, to be in the playoffs. Uh, interestingly enough, Luton Town and Sheffield United, their final matches of the season are against uh, Fulham. So those will be tough for everybody involved oh, wow. there. Um, so should be a very exciting um, kind of finish and should see some great teams in the playoffs. So um, your match of the week uh, this week, um, this Saturday, Blackburn and Burnmouth play um, at 10 a.m. Um, that should be a very good match. Um, Burnmouth coming off that draw to Fulham, and then actually they were down 3-0 to Swansea and came back and, and drew there. So it'll be interesting to see if um, Scotty Parker's fighting cherries can uh, come up with us <laughs> or whether they're going to have to fight their way through the uh, playoffs. All right, awesome update. I do have a quick mention. So uh, I don't know if anybody remembers Wigan Athletic, who won the FA Cup back in 2013, famously against Manchester City. Um, they are now down in League One. They got relegated that season. They're now down in League One, uh, but they are sitting top of League One. They play Portsmouth this week, and uh, I was paying a little bit of attention uh, on Tuesday afternoon, and Wigan were 2-0 up on Portsmouth, and if that result held, they would be they would have guaranteed promotion, um, automatic promotion. They're, they're in the playoffs, but they would have guaranteed automatic promotion. And then Portsmouth scored three times in like 25 minutes to deny them that. Portsmouth won 3-2. So Wigan have to wait a little bit longer. They have to wait till the final weekend, which is this weekend um, in League One, to secure that spot. Rotherham could. Rotherham, MK Dons uh, could could take the uh, the title away from them. And MK Dons could take that last playoff spot or that last uh, automatic promotion spot. So... Just a funny little story that I found this week. Yeah, I don't think Sunderland are close, Jordan. No, 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 no. They're actually fighting for, like, I think, fifth and sixth. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, with Oxford Oxford United right now. Uh, no, I was going to say good uh, that Wigan did not secure automatic promotion just yet. Why? Because, uh, screw Wigan. Why? Uh, because of the lead break on uh, 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 Masvidal Hadara. You're going to impugn an entire club because of one incident. That's right. Yes, I miss. Yes. I, mean, I miss Wigan. They gave us Roberto Martinez, who I think is a really good pundit and uh, and a good guy. So, I, I would love to see Wigan back in the Premier League someday. I just Roberto I, I like, Martinez. Like uh, plus, plus, they have very good pies. Do what? Uh, Roberto Martinez failed Everton manager. Um, yeah, he did, didn't fail as bad as they are now. I, I mean, know. he's, he's, he's at Belgium. He's at he's at Belgium. He's he's competing for World Cups. Uh, I, think he's, I think he's I think he's moved up. You know, you could say they're competing, but I mean, have they ever made a final of the major tournament recently? You love, you love Belgium. Not, you're just trying to make a point at this point. All right. Um, here's hey, what you're. Uh, you're oh, I was going to say. Uh, just uh, tell the good people about the I game love, this weekend. I know. I don't love Belgium. Uh, carry on. Okay, there you go. Um, oh, speaking of, real quick, I do have to mention this. So Manchester United and Chelsea play each other on Thursday this week. That's tomorrow, April the 28th. You might be asking yourself, why would that possibly happen? Well, because Chelsea play Liverpool in the FA Cup final, which is on May the 14th, um, which is before the season ends. Uh, the Premier League, in their infinite wisdom, decided to move a major Premier League clash 
between two big teams on the same night as one of their teams, West Ham, is playing in the European in the Europa League semifinal. So thanks, guys, for totally shitting on our moment and putting Manchester United versus Chelsea on a Thursday. Um, so that is tomorrow night. It's going to be on USA Network uh, here in the States at 2.45. Uh, but your weekend looks like this. Newcastle versus Everton starts us out at 7.30 uh, on... USA Network, that's on Saturday, April the 30th. The 10 a.m. kickoffs look like this. Aston Villa versus Norwich, the Dean Smith Derby, is on CNBC and Peacock. Uh, Southampton versus Palace on Peacock. Watford versus Burnley is your big 10 a.m. kickoff. That's at USA Network. And then one more 10 a.m. is Wolves versus Brighton. That is on Peacock. Leeds versus Manchester City at 12.30 on NBC. It's about to get a lot. It's, it, things are about to get a little bit harder for Jesse Marsh uh, and Leeds, but uh, wish him the best. Then on Sunday, May 1st, Everton and Chelsea on USA Network at 9 a.m. Other 9 a.m. kickoffs. Uh, the other 9 a.m. kickoff is Tottenham versus Leicester. Uh, that's on Peacock. And the highlight game of Sunday, West Ham against Arsenal, a London derby, 11.30 a.m. Eastern time on USA Network. And on Monday, Manchester United are back in action. They play Brentford at Old Trafford at 3 p.m. That's also on USA so in keeping with recent tradition, I think we're going to do top shelf picks um, off script, off show again this week, just because we're kind of running low on time. And I'm not going to lie, I don't have the games picked out. I've kind of fallen down on that, guys, and I am sorry. Um, but do feel free to send me your game suggestions um, that we pick, and I will uh, I'll probably agree to that. We could probably pick Newcastle-Liverpool if you wanted to, actually. That could be one of them. But... We can we can consider that later. So, yeah. Another good show. Any other notes? Anything we didn't mention? I just have one final note. Uh, okay. This is not concerning the Premier League. This is actually concerning uh, uh, MLS. I thought you were going to say NBA. No, no. Uh, MLS. Uh, right. uh, FC Dallas uh, wins yeah. again uh, at the death against, uh, I believe it was New York Red Bulls. No, Houston. Uh, they, oh, Houston. Yes, yes. No, it, was, it, was the, it was the Texas Derby. Uh, we currently sit in fourth place right now in the West. Hell yeah. Uh, fun, and a fun fact from last season, the okay. top four positions in the Western Conference of MLS were not in the playoffs last year at all. Uh, <laughs> so last year, uh, no one from either Los Angeles nor the great state of Texas uh, represented MLS in the Western Conference playoffs. Uh, so right now, uh, L, uh, L, uh, LAFC sits in first. Uh, our rivals to the south, uh, uh, Austin, sits in second. And then the nice. Galaxy sit in third. And then little FC Dallas sits in fourth. Nice. Yeah, I, I, it's good. I'm glad to see the Texas teams doing well again, except for Houston. But I'm glad to see the Texas teams uh, competing again. It's good. It's good notoriety. It's good that we're, uh, that we're all up there and competing. I'm excited to play Austin this year. I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, uh, uh, especially if uh, Brandon Cervania unleashes a Thunder Bastard like he did uh, was... when we saw yeah. versus Colorado. That thing was incredible. It was that was from so. way the hell out there. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it was a couple weeks ago, but go go look up Brandon Cervania's goal. It was wonderful. Um, that's another one. That's, that's another FC doubt. Bayern Munich's Brandon Servania, I think we could say now. Uh, it always happens. That's okay. Oh, did, yeah, right. has, he, has, he, has he made the move? No, I'm just, it's a joke. 
It's, I mean, it's, I mean, they, no, they no seem kidding. to take all of our players. Uh, yeah, no, no kidding. Um, <laughs> and on that note, uh, let's go eat some pies, guys. All right, let's go eat some pies. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, everybody. It's been a fun year. Uh, looking forward to another good, another, uh, good year coming forward. So we'll see you next week.